Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison, your host every Sunday for the week on Wednesday weekend wrap. It is Sunday the 13th of August and I hope wherever you are around Australia and indeed around the world, you are basking in the warm glow of the Matildas reaching the semi-finals of the World Cup. If my voice sounds a little croaky, it's because we were cheering so loudly at our house last night. There were literal tears of joy uh, as uh, Vine slammed in that final penalty such a fantastic game very tactical uh nerves on both sides opportunities on both sides but what a game to watch what a thing to be part of the largest television audience in over 20 years for any particular event massive amount of australian support you can see videos online all over the country on airplanes, in bars. Uh, I saw one comment from a pizza delivery uh, pizza delivery driver who said that every home they went to delivering pizzas had it on the television. Uh, it was a remarkable game, a remarkable moment in Australian sport. And for those saying it's a remarkable moment in women's sport, I'm sure that that's true and meant in the most positive way possible. But we have to also consider that this is just a remarkable moment in sport, full stop. The world game played in almost every country in the world. This is the most popular sport without question anywhere in the world. The World Cup is the pinnacle of sporting achievement uh, and an Australian team is in the last four. It's a fantastic, fantastic outcome and you know, we're now at the stage where we're either going to be playing for gold or playing for bronze, uh, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll overcome uh, our old, old rivals, England, our rivals in so many things. Uh, now, our footballing rivals as well, uh, and make the final where we'll get to face off uh, against the Sweden or Spain. So things to look forward to in the near future. But of course, The Weekend Wrap is not a sports podcast. It is a political podcast. And today we're going to talk about the coalition. And specifically, I'm going to talk about David Littleproud's interview on Insiders and what it tells us about the coalition and what their recent behavior tells us about how they make policy, how they think about the Australian public, and why, even though there are lots of economic pressures facing many, many Australians, even though there are lots of concerns about the cost of living, why the party of Menzies, the party that was supposed to be all about cost of living and economic management, cannot make inroads against Labor. And quite frankly, it's very, very straightforward. Little Proud's Insiders interview reveals to us just how reliant the coalition has become on doing what lobbyists tell them to do. And it also explains why they are opposed to the voice and why they are opposed to unions and why they are instinctively opposed to grassroots movements by communities that want to see changes or improvements. 
And I very briefly want to just give a quick shout out uh, to the Save Glenroy Post Office movement. You can check out their Facebook page. They've been emailing us this week. Uh, they're conducting meetings. They're having a rally at Australia Post headquarters uh, later this month. Uh, I think it's this week. You can check out their Facebook page. Uh this is part of a pattern of post offices being closed and communities rallying to stop the closure of their post office. Because, of course, we've had closures of banks and we've had bank services move to post offices and then when post offices close, you lose banking services as well. But, of course, the coalition oversaw a decade of these things happening. And, of course, the coalition board appointees to the Board of Australia Post allow all this to happen as well. It's all part of a broader lack of policy direction from the coalition. And hopefully what we'll see uh, in Glenroy there is uh, the same sort of thing that saw in Sebastopol, where Sebastopol in Ballarat is now getting its post office back. Uh, So good luck and strength to the arms of that community. So why would the coalition be opposed to groups like that? Why would they be opposed to the voice? Why would they be opposed to unions? It's because they are totally captured by lobbyists. Their entire policy-making framework is captured by lobbyists. And nothing, nothing makes it clearer than Little Proud's interview on Insiders, that they want to transition to coal from coal to nuclear that they have this view that somehow or another nuclear energy is the future the most expensive the least safe the longest to build the most difficult to manage form of energy should be uh, our energy of choice why would they say this because mining and energy companies like the idea of nuclear it's very, very profitable to run a nuclear power station to be mining uranium if there is a domestic nuclear uh, industry. These are fundamentally policies designed by and for uh, big corporate interests. Uh, I'll get into the detail of why that's bad as well. I've been to the Chernobyl Museum, I've been to Ukraine, I've been to Kiev, I've seen the repercussions of the uh, anomaly, if you like, that the, the coalition likes to say that nuclear is safe, in inverted commas. Uh, it's safe until it's not. And that's the same with anything, right? The same with any form of energy generation or any form of manufacturing process is it safe until it's not. So you've got to look at what is the worst case scenario. Well, the worst case scenario with a wind turbine, and we've seen this happen, right, is that the turbine catches fire while there are people maintaining it or while there are people close by and they get injured or hurt or even killed. And there have been... uh, very few, uh, I'm aware of one incident where uh, workers were killed in a wind turbine fire. It's very sad, it's unfortunate, and hopefully it doesn't happen again. The worst case scenario in a nuclear energy accident is something like Chernobyl. Now, that is very much worst case, where you have thousands of people die the water table contaminated and nuclear particulates found in food products 
thousands of miles away. This is the worst case scenario. The idea that we would put small modular nuclear reactors, a technology which, by the way, at this point does not exist and by any stretch of the imagination will cost a fortune to run using skills that Australian workers at this stage do not have, that we will put these in every town and suburb around the country is a pipe dream and fantastical thinking. We should be using the technology that exists, wind, solar, pumped hydro, to improve and reduce our emissions. And by the way, emissions are not the only form of pollution. Nuclear pollution is incredibly toxic, incredibly difficult to deal with. And the idea that we're going to have trucks rolling around our suburbs with substantial amounts of nuclear waste, taking them to places as yet unknown, is quite frankly terrifying, particularly given the coalition also opposes the work of unions like the TWU and companies in the transport sector, I should say, who support the idea of safe rates and safer roads when nearly 100 uh, truck drivers have died in recent times on our roads and truck incidents, accidents and uh, collisions are so very and unfortunately frequent. This is not a safe technology. Uh, It's safe in isolation, sure. In a lab condition, you could say nuclear is safe. But when we start to talk about what is the safest choice, nuclear just doesn't come close. So why would the coalition support it? Well, because Labor opposes it. That's one reason, sure, but also because There's a lot of money to be made in an industry like that. So lobbyists love it. But there are more examples, even from this one interview. So David Littleproud, leader of the National Party, wants to make medicines more expensive. Fundamentally, that's his argument. Labor brought in regulations that have allowed people to get two months' worth of their medicines at a time, Not every medicine, but for things that people are on long-term, they can get them dispensed two months at a time. The coalition has run this campaign, this scare campaign, um, off the back of a Pharmacy Guild campaign. Now, the Pharmacy Guild is a bunch of bosses who've come together, formed their own lobby group. They sat in the galleries of Parliament this week as the coalition tied itself up in knots to say that it supported cheaper medicines, but it wanted some form of compensation for pharmacists who would lose out on the dispensing fee, a fee which is 100% taxpayer money paid to the pharmacist to dispense the medicine, which, by the way, people then also pay for. So this is entirely about putting money in the pockets of pharmacists. I don't know about you, but I've never met a poor pharmacist. I've never met a pharmacist who drives a cheaper car than me, and I drive a Mazda, okay? These are not a class of people who are oppressed. They are fundamentally very well remunerated. Now, 
they make arguments about pharmacies closing in um, in towns or in the bush. One of the examples they used was a town 20 minutes outside of the Sunshine Coast, which, by the way, I live in a regional area and the little town, very much smaller town than the small town I live in, has had a pharmacy open because a doctor has opened. The example that the coalition used in parliament was of a town where the doctor had shut up shop some time ago, over a year ago, and the pharmacist then shut up shop as well. And people in the main were commuting to the larger metropolitan area for work and therefore doing a lot of their medical and related uh, interactions there. The coalition doesn't take into account any of this. It doesn't think about policy in a holistic sense. It's driven by the lobbyist viewpoint. So the idea that, in fact, in some places where there are regional communities that are developing a sense of community, sense of identity, that there are jobs in those communities, where there are doctors coming to those communities, you can actually open pharmacies, doesn't occur to them. Right? Their focus is on how do we help these lobbyists who've come to us get more money from the taxpayer because they're going to support us politically. And that's fundamentally what they do, right? The Pharmacy Guild campaigns, and they've been campaigning against Labor, which helps the uh, Liberal National Coalition. Uh, this is the same party, right, that keeps saying there's a cost of living crisis, wants the cost of medicines to go up again. It wants, it voted against increases to JobSeeker and against increases to rent assistance. It's the same party that relied on the Real Estate Agents Association to campaign against Labor reforming negative gearing. Uh, this is fundamentally a party whose platform is written and designed by corporate lobbyists energy and mining companies deciding their energy policy, the pharmacy guild deciding their pharmaceutical policy, the Real Estate Agent Association deciding on their housing policy. Does everyone remember super for a higher mortgage? That fundamentally helps real estate agents who work on a percentage base arrangement. Driving up the price of housing by allowing people to access their super to, to get a higher mortgage doesn't help people get into the housing market. It just drives up the cost of housing, which increases the commissions for real estate agents. You know, the, this is a party or a coalition of parties that listens to the business council who oppose same job, same pay because their biggest members are people like BHP and Qantas who fundamentally own labour hire companies that they use to undermine the wages of their directly employed workforce. By the way, if you are employed by any uh, any business in any of these sectors, you need to be a member of your union because it is through your collective strength as a workforce that you're able to ensure that these lobbyists don't get to write the policy of the nation even if they are writing the policy of the coalition. You can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow. And I just make a quick note there, the Matildas are all unionised. 
The Socceroos are all unionised. The Rugby League Players Association uh, have unionised rugby league players. AFL players are unionised. These are people who are, by any measure, elite at what they do, and they are unionised because they recognise that their collective strength, even if they are a superstar in their chosen field, their collective strength makes them even stronger. You know, the coalition opposed having nurses in nursing homes in aged care facilities because there were peak bodies and lobbyists, uh, not every peak body, not but lobbyists in the aged care sector who said that it couldn't be done, it would be too expensive, uh, they wouldn't be able to find the nurses. This week we discovered 98% of aged care facilities have a registered nurse on premise at all times. That's inside the first year of the operation of the policy. The private school lobby has been successful in having the coalition spend a decade, over the last decade when it was in power, redirecting money away from a needs-based policy towards private schools, many of which are now overfunded some of which receive up to 150% of their needs-based funding. Meanwhile, public schools are underfunded. 98% of public schools do not have the minimum level of funding. Why? Because the coalition listened to the lobbyists from the private schools associations. And we see this time and time again, right? Even in the university sector, the, the Uni- Universities Australia, which is the lobby group for the managers of universities, have successfully lobbied coalition governments for changes that will make universities much more money and stop, stop job security as part of the university sector. And we saw comments this week from that lobby group opposing, opposing job security for academics and staff in universities. So this is a constant pattern. David Littleproud's interview on Insiders simply highlighted three very clear examples. Energy policy, clearly written by the lobby groups. Pharmaceutical policy, not only written by, but overseen in the parliament from the gallery by the Pharmacy Guild, and of course the voice where he admitted that he would not vote for a legislated voice, which goes against what Peter Dutton has constantly tried to argue, that it should just be legislated and the coalition would support that. Well, David Littleproud, who's, by the way, the leader of the coalition party whose vote has not been in constant decline. It kind of declined rapidly uh, 20 or 30 years ago and has now <laughs> just steadfastly remained the same. But David Littleproud will not support a legislative voice. So why wouldn't he support a legislative voice? He's already listening to all of these lobby groups. Well, because these lobby groups are not in the main, in any way, shape, or form democratic. And those that do have some kind of representative structure are not really very transparent or democratic about it. Mostly they are companies. Mostly they are themselves uh, corporations or companies uh, or associations set up for the benefit of a very small number of members, the companies that uh, 
are in these sectors who themselves exist to benefit simply the shareholders and are run by very highly paid executives. You know, we've talked before about the highly paid nature of some of the uh, bosses' lobby groups and the executives who run them. They oppose the voice for the same reason they oppose unions. The voice is a democratic prospect. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why the coalition and members of the coalition oppose the voice. But at its core, the voice to parliament will be a form of democratic engagement. It will provide actual mums and dads the opportunity to have representation on policies that impact them, as opposed to the make-believe mum and dad operations in pharmacies. I don't know how many mum and dads are running Chemist Warehouse, by the way, but actual mums and dads who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander will have representation on policy that impacts them. It's not a pay-to-play arrangement. It's not a donation-to-the-party arrangement. It is a direct democratic engagement that allows people transparency, accountability, and a say on policy that impacts them. Just like why they oppose unions. Unions do exactly the same thing. Now, we're not, unions are not enshrined in the Constitution, but unions are culturally enshrined. Even people who are not members of unions support the idea that unions should have a role in the formation of policy, particularly around the workplace. And we saw this week the launch of the price gouging inquiry. Uh, and if you have been ripped off, do check out uh, uh the price gouging inquiry inquiry.actu.org.au, uh, I think, is the web address, but you can find it very easily. If you go to any of the Australian Union social media pages, you'll find it and put in what's happened to you. You Maybe you've been price gouged on pharmaceuticals. Maybe you've been price gouged on rent. Uh, these are maybe banking fees or your mortgage. I know even from my own uh, recent experience, uh, on my mortgage, turns out I was paying a full percentage point more than I needed to uh, because the bank is under no obligation to tell me whether I'm on the best rate or not. You know, companies price gouge all the time. The union movement is doing absolutely the right thing by calling this out. And what we've seen in the past, by the way, when workers, through their movement, elect Labor governments, you can get regulatory change. We've seen this at a state level where almost I think every state has some form of best price arrangement for electricity and gas. So the company is obliged to tell you whether or not you're on the best rate for you rather than try and confuse you with, well, if you pay this fee, we can package it up and you'll get this rate. Or if you choose these options, you'll get this rate. And of course, what do people do? They go, it's all too complex, It's and I'm not going to do it. That's why having representation is important, because representation allows us to have experts. In the workplace, unions are the workers, and in the policy setting, unions provide 
the resources and the expertise. The lived experience of the workers is complemented by the expertise of industrial lawyers, of economists, of policy experts, so that the real mums and dads of Australia, the working everyday people, have a voice on policy that impacts them. These are things that the coalition cannot stand. They're terrifying. The idea that you would have to go and engage, that you would have to go and engage with, say, the Glenroy community about the post office, that someone from Australia Post, an executive, the board members, have to turn up and engage with those people. You know, there's a former Liberal Party president on the board of Australia Post, former Liberal senator on the board of Australia Post. These are, these are people who are fundamentally... They may believe in democracy as a concept in terms of there should be elections and people should get to have a say. But for them, democracy stops at the water's edge. David Littleproud has made that very clear. Peter Dutton has made that very clear. They want democracy to stop at the doors of parliament, at the doors of the polling booth. That's where they think it ends. But democracy is an everyday activity. Democracy is a muscle that we must flex at every opportunity so that it stays strong. And we've seen what happens in places where democracy is allowed to stagnate. Fascism takes over. And the problem that the coalition has is that they've allowed their own democracy to stagnate. And their capture by lobby groups means that even though there is a political opportunity for them, and I say this as a card-carrying member of the Labor Party, there is a political opportunity for them when people feel under economic pressure. They're unable to do anything about it because they are so captured by lobby groups that instead of trying to make life easier with simple policy that reduces the cost of medicine, they have spent a week tying themselves in knots, trying to placate the lobbyists who put money into their campaigns at the expense of the people who put votes in the ballot box. And that is no way, no way to participate in a democracy. So... That's my take on David Littleproud's interview on Insiders and what it means, how it fits into the broader picture and why being a member of your union is important, why voting yes to the voice is important, why the coalition will continue to oppose unions, the voice, all sorts of grassroots democratic organisations, why they'll pretend to support groups when in fact what they're supporting are lobbyists who are trying to make money either for their clients or for the members of their particular association, like the Pharmacy Guild. That is not the kind of democracy that we want. And I think more and more Australians are waking up to it through alternative media sources, through the fact that you simply cannot hide in the way they used to do before the internet. We're onto it, we're across it, and that's why Labor continues to lead on primary votes and the two-party preferred. I hope you've enjoyed this weekend wrap. I hope you've 
absolutely enjoyed the Matildas and their massive quarterfinal win. Don't forget to tune in on Wednesday for Van and I for the week on Wednesday. We're hoping that there'll be another uh, Van Batam in conversation with episode soon. Uh, as we said, we're going to try and do one a month. We'll try and get one out towards the end of this month. Should be a very interesting one. I'm not going to give away any spoilers on that. We'll have more to say on that shortly. But until Wednesday, please join your union, vote yes on the voice, and be kind to yourself and to each other.